Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for bringing us together uh, safely and with all the winter driving out there. I uh, pray that uh, you'd uh, keep uh, your people uh, safe and uh, that uh, we're grateful to be here and pray that uh, we'd be able to return home safely as well. And uh, we pray that uh, your spirit would be with us, uh, that you'd teach and instruct us, that uh, we would uh, know you, uh, that we would know your son, uh, that we would uh, understand that you are the one true living uh, creator God, that you created all things in space, time, uh, history, uh, and that these things are not myths, but uh, they're the very uh, your very revelation through your prophets and apostles. And so we thank you for these things and pray in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so back in Genesis, back in uh, the beginning. And tonight I said that we would be looking at something a little more technical that you usually don't like to deal with. Uh, so go to Genesis Chapter 1, verse, verse 1. I want you to compare these uh, two translations. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. All right. Now, second translation. When God began to create heaven and earth, the earth being unformed and void, with darkness over the surface of the deep, and a wind from God sweeping over the water, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And now that second one, there's something else that's kind of uh, different in there. Uh, the issue about the wind, which we've kind of spoken about, uh, which we'll touch on more, uh, Lord willing, maybe next week or uh, in the next couple, couple uh, studies that we have. Uh, but they, how they begin it, not in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when God began to create heaven and earth, the earth being, or it could be in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth. Uh, and the earth was without form and void in darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovering over uh, the, the water. Uh, God said, or then God said, let there be light uh, and there was light. Uh, and so tonight we'll be looking at uh, just this very first verse and even the very first part of it in the beginning or in the beginning of. And so the, the question is, uh, is, is this, a lot of times it's framed as either an absolute beginning or a relative beginning but the, there's kind of even a misnomer there. And so the idea would be uh, in the beginning that that's the beginning of everything. 
uh, that's at the very beginning of creation. But even there, as we'll talk about, well, that's still relative to God. God didn't begin. And you'll find that uh, in John 1, 1, he begins even earlier, <laughs> before the creation, uh, back to eternity past, uh, when uh, the word who existed uh, with God and as God was in the bosom of the Father. Uh, and so, in a sense, both of them could be, they're, they're relative to something, uh, relative to the very beginning of all the, the created events. Uh, and so, here, let, let's just, uh, we're, we're going to look at this uh, in, in some detail. Uh, and so, first, I just want to look at the function of this first, uh, this first verse, which we've actually covered a little bit, uh, where it serves a very special uh, function uh, to introduce the narrative that follows, uh, to establish uh, a context uh, in time, uh, to introduce uh, any major participants. And you find here, uh, it's God and his spirit. Uh, any, any entities, heavens and the earth, uh, and to provide background uh, to understand the narrative that follows, to introduce a problem, or here, just an unresolved issue. Uh, the, uh, you see that the earth was formless and void, or, or barren and, and empty, and so God's going to resolve that. That's what the rest of this, uh, this narrative of the creation account is about, bringing the incomplete heavens and the earth to their completion, to their culmination. As far as God's work is concerned, a man is going to have work uh, afterwards, which then you'll see that he'll sin. And so God's going to have to bring salvation, to bring uh, a new humanity who will reign over all the earth uh, and be, be a blessing and bring uh, God's presence and provision uh, to all the ends of the earth as his uh, image bearers. Uh, and so... Uh, the, the earth was uh, without foreign void or barren and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit was hovering over the waters. So day one, let there be light. And there was light into, into the void of the, the darkness. Uh, and so let's just look at, uh, go to Genesis 17, Genesis 17, verse 1. And we'll see some examples of a technical term is a temporal frame of reference, a temporal reference frame, which uh, establishes uh, a context in time for what uh, follows. Um, you can also have in narrative uh, because uh, it involves events and histor historical events and historical narrative that unfold that move the narrative uh, forward where we were talking about uh, what's the central question in a narrative that moves it forward. Does anyone remember uh, what we discussed last week? Central question that, that moves the narrative forward. It's a little bit of a test because if you can recall it, then you'll know it. So then when you, you read scripture, uh, you can apply this uh, as you read along. It's, what it, happened? Yeah, it involves the events. What happened? Something happened. <laughs> that's, that's the interest in the narrative. You know, uh, basically Genesis. Well, Genesis in a, 
through Revelation in a nutshell, is about what happened. You know, what, what God has, has yeah, done. Yeah, and what will happen. And, uh, I mean, God who is and was and is to come, and his work uh, in creation, uh, in judgment, in redemption, uh, in establishing his kingdom, uh, filling the earth with his glory, it's about what, what happened. Uh, and where you see at the beginning of Genesis, where it says the earth was barren and empty. That's not what happened. It's just describing the state of the earth. That's a static thing. That's a, a kind of an unchanging thing at that point in time. It's just barren and empty. And darkness was over the face of the deep. There's just darkness there. It didn't say, now darkness came over the face of the deep. Or, you know, then you'd have an event or, or something like that. Or the gap theory. They, they try and say, uh, and the earth became, uh, the, the earth became formless and void. God brought judgment on Satan. And they, they read all this uh, stuff into it and try and read it out of uh, Jeremiah. That's not what Jeremiah is talking about. He's talking about judgment in their day. And now the created earth goes back to its uncreated state, kind of like in the days of, of Noah. So you have a reversal. Now it's judgment. It's not just an uncreated uh, earth incomplete that's brought to completion. Uh, so what happened? Uh, that's uh, central. And because it involves events, Narratives deal with space, locations, uh, they deal with time, uh, they deal with uh, participants, agents who act uh, and do things. God is the supreme agent and actor uh, in scripture uh, bringing uh, everything about. Even sometimes like in the book of Esther, he's not even mentioned and yet his hands in everything. You, you can't explain the book of Esther apart from uh, God who's, who's not even named. Uh, and so... Uh, space, time, uh, and these, this uh, example of a temporal reference frame uh, that establishes a context, uh, you can also have spatial ones that happen in space where there's a change in their location or a change uh, in the time. And so just look right before this and look to verse uh, Genesis 16, verse 13. Uh, so she uh, called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, and this is Hagar. Uh, you are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore uh, the well was called Be'er Lahai Ro'i. Uh, it lies between Kadesh and Bered. Uh, uh, and Hagar uh, bore uh, Abram a son. And Abram called uh, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael. And so you have these events. Uh, the, the well is called Be'er Lahai Ro'i. Uh, and Hagar bore, or there it gives a little background, therefore. So it's part of the narrative uh, because of what happened before saying you're a god of seeing at this location in its history lies between Kadesh and Bered. Uh, and, Hagar, and Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So we have these events that bring this narrative to a close that started with uh, a problem. Uh, Sarai was barren. She blamed God for closing her womb and not being able to bear children. And so she gave Hagar to Abram, and Abram took Hagar 
you have some of this language back to the temptation uh, involved uh, where he's acting outside of what God, God did not say to do this, uh, to take uh, Hagar. He, he already has a wife and God has said he'll give him offspring. And so it brings this narrative to a close. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And so that's a little background about his age uh, when these events happened. Uh, just to inform us about the con context, God had called him out when he was 75. Uh, and now uh, from 85 to 86, she's now bore Ishmael. Uh, when he was 85, she conceived. He took her uh, for a wife. Uh, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So Abram was 86 years old, uh, and now some time has passed, uh, 13 years even. And Ishmael's going to be 13 years old. He makes his, his covenant of circumcision when Ishmael is circumcised. And so now when Abram was 99 years old, uh, in that uh, establishes uh, a context, a temporal frame of reference uh, in time where there's been a shift. Uh, there's been a, a shift uh, of these 13 years have passed in, in the time of, uh, of Abram's life, uh, which you think of all the, the time that passed uh, between the promises, between having Ishmael and thinking that Ishmael is going to receive the promises and the blessing now uh, that uh, God had made with him in, in his prior covenant. And so it creates uh, a shift, uh, a change in time when Abram was 99 years old. Uh, but that is dependent upon what follows if you just stopped it when Abram was 99 years old. When Abram was 99 years old. It's not a full sentence. It's not a full thought. Uh, and so it just sets a context for the main point that follows. Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him. That's the main point. But Abram's age sets the context in time for the events that happened to understand how it relates to everything that came, uh, came before as the, the narrative moves forward. Uh, now, uh, 24 years have passed since God had first called, called Abram and 13 years since uh, Ishmael was born, 14 since he was conceived and he took uh, Hagar. Uh, and so then look at uh, Genesis 22, verse 1. And so here it, it's relating to the, the issue of in the beginning or in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth. What's, what's the, the context in time? Is it in the beginning or in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth? In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth? Is that whole thing establishing the context in time? Uh, and then the main points, the main events uh, follow with the background information or just in the beginning? 
And so look at, we'll just look at the, uh, again, uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 32. You even have the naming of uh, Be'er Sheba, uh, the, the well, uh, because there, uh, there both of them swore an oath with uh, Abimelech or Avimelech. Uh, so they made a covenant at Be'er Sheba. Uh, then uh, Avimelech and Fikol, uh, the commander of the army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Be'er uh, Sheba, or Be'er Sheba, uh, and called there on the name of Yahweh, uh, the everlasting God. And Abram sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Uh, and so his covenant with uh, Abimelech and uh, the, the, the playing of the tamarisk tree uh, and called there on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God. Uh, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines, uh, waiting for the, uh, the fullness of uh, God's promises uh, to come about. And then into chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men. And so the narrative progresses, but again we see verse 1, chapter 22, after these things, well, which things? What just happened? Uh, the events that proceeded uh, with uh, Abimelech uh, in the covenant he made, playing the Tamarisk, uh, Beersheba, uh, and sojourning uh, in the land of these foreigners, the, the Philistines, uh, along the way. And so after these things, uh, it divides where now there's, doesn't tell you how long has passed, but a certain period of time has passed. And the main point, God tested Abraham in this context after, after this time has passed. Uh, and I'll just show you one more, uh, Genesis uh, 22, verse 4. Or let's see. Yeah, Genesis 22, uh, verse 4. So it's just a little ways along. Let's look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. It's reminding you, he's his son <laughs> along the way. You, you kind of have that repeat throughout. It could just said Isaac, but this is his son. And he cut, he, he cut the, the wood uh, for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. And so again, there's a discontinuity in the narrative, uh, in the time, where it's not continuous, but three days pass. It's jumped three days uh, to uh, some, some important events uh, that are going to follow. As you see, what's going to happen with of this unresolved issue with this problem with God telling him to go sacrifice his son. That doesn't sound like uh, the God who had called him out and said he'll give him uh, this offspring uh, after him and that uh, he'll raise up I uh, Isaac from, from Sarah 
uh, that all the promises will be through him. Now he's telling you to, uh, to go and to sacrifice your son through whom all the promises are. Uh, and so there's a little bit, a bit of tension and to see does Abraham believe God that he will fulfill his promise through Isaac as he has said. Uh, and it's that recognition, knowing that context, that you can recognize one way or another, Isaac has to come down the mountain. Otherwise, God's word is not faithful uh, and true. And he's been faithful all these many years uh, to Abraham. Uh, I mean, he had Isaac when he was 100, 25 years later. And now Isaac has grown up some. Uh, and so he, he's a boy and helping uh, his father uh, along, uh, along the way. And so, uh, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Oh, it's so he went to the place. Yep, but if you keep reading, then it adjusts, where suddenly it backtracks a little bit. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Uh, and so it sets it now as he's approaching along uh, along the way. And so uh, the real question for Genesis chapter 1 is, what is... What is the temporal uh, reference point? Or some call it a temporal point of departure, kind of a, a starting place. Uh, is it in the beginning or in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth? In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Uh, we'll look at some of the implications of that where some more uh, skeptical scholars, uh, they would say, see, look, in, in the beginning, you have pre-existent matter and here's God. And so that's just like the pagan myths. And we'll look at, we'll look at that even if it were uh, the, the second interpretation that doesn't follow. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see that. So in some ways, as I've said, uh, some of the grammatical nuances, it's not that it's not important, but they can be easily overblown. Uh, and you just get a little bit of context and read to the end, and you'll see this is the God who creates everything uh, in the beginning. Uh, Jim, were you, you going to say something? I'm just curious what in the original text mm -hmm. leaves that there being Yeah, uh, and so uh, that is a good question. In fact, that gets us to our next point. That's a good good transition. So uh, the, the check's in the mail. Uh, and so really it's a question of uh, the, this traditional translation, interpretation uh, versus the somewhat less traditional. It's definitely less traditional, but there were... Uh, some uh, rabbis like uh, uh, Grashi, uh, who uh, he was a good interpreter in many ways. He knew Hebrew very well. He wasn't the only one, uh, but he would argue for the second uh, interpretation. Uh, and so uh, there are at least like a couple rabbis, uh, uh, maybe around like medieval times and such, who, uh, who went with that. But overwhelmingly, uh, we'll see that uh, most uh, most of our early translations and such uh, understood 
in the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. And so what is uh, the starting point? Uh, and now, here, I'd just like to look at, let's see, uh, here's a quote from uh, Joshua Wilson. I'll put a, a couple articles on the, the website uh, that go into a little more detail. At least one of them is, is a bit technical, but uh, he says, with this uh, dependent clause translation, uh, it is not possible to interpret the, uh, the idea of an absolute beginning of the universe uh, or a creation of nothing since the rendering treats of the earth in Genesis. Uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 is a being in existence before God's first act of creation, light. Now, I should say, now this guy argues for the traditional uh, interpretation that you have an independent clause, dependent in the beginning, independent, the main point, God created the heavens and the earth. What he's talking about here is when he says dependent clause translation, uh, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, saying that whole thing is dependent on what follows. It's not the main point. Uh, it's subordinate. It's secondary uh, to the back. Well, you have the background information that God created light, or then God created light. That'd be the first event. Um, here, I would disagree with uh, Joshua Wilson that it doesn't necessarily make uh, impossible. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of that more. But uh, for uh, some skeptics, uh, they would uh, they would insist on that, and they they want that uh, to be the case uh, because then they can try and write off Genesis as a pagan myth. But there are even some more liberal, unbelieving scholars who recognize. Nah, even if that is it, and, and many of them uh, disagree with that, uh, even some very liberal ones uh, disagree with that translation. Uh, they, they think it's in the beginning. Um, they recognize that there's more with, uh, with context. So it's, it's some, it's, it's the more, more skeptical uh, scholars uh, that would uh, try and insist on that. Uh, and so let's just look uh, now at uh, why some scholars uh, uh, insist on this translation uh, in the beginning when or in the beginning of, not just, not just the beginning, you know, on its own, but the beginning of something uh, that further specifies it uh, and further uh, defines it. And so uh, the most... Uh, Serious uh, challenge, uh, or often as it's uh, presented, uh, would be, uh, or the, the question, I guess, uh, would be uh, whether uh, the, uh, the word uh, in uh, beginning, uh, in uh, reshit, uh, beginning, whether that's in the, the construct state uh, that they call in Hebrew grammar, uh, which basically means that uh, the word is constructed on something. So uh, it's dependent upon something. It's resting upon something that follows. Uh, in the closest translation that would work most of the time, it's a little different, but most of the time it covers it, uh, would be what we've already used uh, in the beginning of, the word of. Further specifies that there's uh, some further uh, relationship, some further specification or uh, categorization that will happen 
Uh, so not just beginning, but beginning of God creating the, the heavens and the earth, the beginning of something. Uh, and this is related like in, in Greek, uh, and they also use it like in Latin, uh, the, the genitive case. Uh, Eric has talked about that uh, sometimes. Uh, and so uh, here uh, from, uh, from SIL, uh, used to be Summer Institute of Linguistics, but they started doing things outside the summer, so it's just SIL now. Uh, they define uh, the genitive case is a case in which the referent of the marked noun is the possessor of uh, the referent of another noun. And so sometimes it's called the possessive case, uh, which is a little inaccurate. Uh, pos possession is a very central use of it. Uh, and so uh, if, uh, for example, uh, the, but the, the primary idea uh, here, they say the relation between the marked noun and another noun uh, or uh, is the possessor of the referent of, of another noun. And so maybe if you have a really broad idea of belonging, belonging to a category, or sometimes the idea of possession. Uh, in some languages, a genitive case may express an associative uh, relation between the marked noun and another noun, saying that the two are closely associated or related. So belonging uh, and further specifying it. And so just to give uh, some little more concrete examples, you could say the man's foot, possession, but uh, the foot of the man. So it's not just the foot, but it's the foot of the man. Uh, or uh, the brother of the man. And so it's not just the brother or a brother, uh, but it's the brother of the man. It further specifies on there, you kind of have a possessive idea, but he doesn't quite you know, possess his foot or his foot doesn't belong to him or his brother doesn't belong to him quite like his foot does. There's a little, little difference in the relationships and it can be used for so many different things. Uh, the singing of the man. It's not just the singing, but the singing of something or the singing of someone. You know, the, the singing of the, of the man or the book of the man or, or the picture of the man. And so it further specifies uh, what it is in the picture of the man in context. Okay, maybe he owns the picture, but maybe it's just of him. You know, maybe he's in the picture. And so it's, it's a picture of him. Uh, and so it further specifies something about the picture belonging uh, to a further specified category in relation to this other idea of, of these two things, of the man and the picture, of the, of the, of the picture of, of the man. Uh, and so then, I mean, it, it can be used for so many things, just even like uh, the, let's say, uh, the uh, barrel of wine or uh, the wheelbarrow of hay or, uh, I mean, the things that are, are contained within it or the, the building of people or the building full of people uh, or... Uh, and so, I mean, it can deal with materials, it can deal with containers, I mean, all sorts of relationships. Uh, and so uh, that basic idea, uh, the, the something of something, or something of something, uh, that's kind of the central idea of what the construct state is. It's constructed on something. They don't have an extra uh, prepositional word like of. Uh, but <coughs> a lot of times it's the form that the word takes 
and so that's part of what they would argue that the form is in the construct form. So it must be dependent on what follows that further uh, specifies it. So it's not just in the beginning, but the beginning of something. Uh, and even one I remember, uh, Eric, talking about uh, in Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now there's something about the book of Revelation where there could be a little bit of a, a play because certainly in the book of Revelation, it's revealing the coming of God's anointed uh, in judgment of his enemies and salvation of his people. Uh, but at the start here, as Eric pointed out, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And so the context further specifies this is something that's given to him to reveal to his servants. And so maybe even in the broader themes, uh, sometimes they talk about subjective, genitive, objective, but you, you, tell, you can tell by the context, uh, in, a lot of times without all the, the jargon, uh, that here something given to him to reveal. Uh, and so, you know, is he the object? Is, is, he, is the revelation about him, you know, this revealing? Or is he the subject? Is he the revealer? Uh, and so uh, Eric has spoken about that. Which did he prefer? Or did, he like, did he like the subject? <laughs> well, he... He argued, he argued that he's the revealer. So I guess that'd be subjective uh, because which God gave him to show to his yeah. servants. So he's revealing. You can't take that away from him. Yeah, yeah. But maybe if you keep reading and uh, have to see like where else the, the idea or the word and language of, of revealing is uh, throughout the book, you know, certainly that would be a theme of it. And so... Uh, some, sometimes the authors will do something too where they'll, they'll use certain language. Uh, and sometimes if something comes before, we saw this like in Psalm 2 uh, where you have, I think it's shatter or shepherd. If you read what comes, uh, comes right before, uh, the context could be one of shepherding. As the ruler, as God's appointed ruler, like over the nations. And a lot of times this is bound up with shepherding and the shepherd ruler, the shepherd king, and all of these ideas. Uh, but then you read what follows, and it says, potter's vessels. You know? Well, the, uh, as Peter Williams said, those are good things to shatter. <laughs> you know? and, so, uh, and in poetry, a lot of times there are word plays. And so what sets it up might cause you to, uh, to make you inclined to read it one way. And then what immediate follows might make you inclined to read it the other way. And so the, the author's playing off of, off of this ambiguity. It's both. Uh, it's both. And you even see that following that with the nations, uh, as Peter Williams said, he, he doesn't just come to just shatter and destroy all the nations. But there's also promise for those who kiss the Son, who those who repent, who those who seek refuge in him, they'll be blessed. And they'll come under uh, his his gentle shepherding rule, you know. And so there, there's also, there's warning of judgment, but there's also promise of blessing for those who turn to him uh, and take refuge in him. And so it's not like his mission was just to come and uh, utterly destroy and annihilate absolutely everyone so no one's left. But those who repent and seek refuge in him, there's promise of blessing. And so, you know, which, which will it be? Will, will you have him as shepherd uh, with his rod or... Uh, like potter's vessel, be shattered uh, by him.
Uh, and part of that's finding refuge in God uh, as, as well. Uh, and so, uh, uh, grammarian uh, Muraoka, uh, is, uh, I guess, has a Japanese uh, background, Muraoka. Um, he says, uh, this uh, relation so of, of the, the construct state is expressed in Hebrew by the simple a close nexus, uh, kind of joined together, uh, of the, the two nouns. And here, sus uh, paro, or paro, uh, horse of Pharaoh. Uh, the two nouns form a phonetic unit, so they're sounds, they're joined together, uh, pronounced together, resulting uh, from the logical unit, or the meaning. Uh, the first noun is said to be in the construct state because it rests phonetically, the sounds, on the second, uh, just as a building rests on its foundations. Uh, the opposite of the construct state is the absolute state. Uh, and so thus in ish rochev al sus adon. And so a man uh, riding on a red horse. Uh, a man riding on a red horse. Uh, and uh, and even there, uh, I suppose, with, uh, I guess it'd be with uh, ish, uh, or man riding, uh, and sus paro, uh, they're joined together, pronounced together, and even horsefera, horsefera. You know, we, we pronounce the, the words together uh, pretty, pretty fluidly uh, along the way. And that's because also, not just the sounds are joined, but the meanings and ideas that they convey and call to mind uh, are related as, as well. And so... Uh, that's what they call uh, the construct state versus the absolute, uh, which they wouldn't be in that relation. It'd just be, uh, it'd just be uh, in, the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, not the beginning of something. And so, let's see, uh, just for uh, a few more examples, uh, and I'll, I'll just read this, uh, Genesis 10, verse 10. We're not going to spend time on it. Uh, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, uh, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. And so here talking about uh, Nimrod or Nimrod, uh, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. And so here, now you have the beginning, not of a verb, and this is going to be kind of important. It's rarer uh, to have in the beginning uh, of the, uh, created immediately follows. Uh, we, we order things a little differently in uh, English. Uh, but it's the beginning of something, the beginning of his kingdom uh, that specifies. Uh, and so even here uh, you, have, uh, you have a time that's set up, uh, but uh, even the, part of the language uh, is different here uh, where it's expressed. Uh, because uh, uh, Rashid doesn't come at the very start of it, but Vatahi. And it was, I guess you'd say that the, uh, the first or the beginning of his kingdom was Babel uh, and Erek and Akkad and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. And so there, there's some differences, but just an example, the beginning of his kingdom. And then Genesis 49, verse uh, 3. Uh, Jacob talks about uh, Reuben, addresses Reuben uh, in the poem. 
uh, of the 12 tribes, 12 sons. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uh, and so this language uh, is the same, Rashit uh, Oni, beginning of my strength. Uh, and so it's the same language. And so sometimes it'll be translated first, beginning, first fruits, uh, but it's, uh, it's the, uh, the beginning or uh, the first of something at its head. Uh, and so the first fruits, uh, uh, the first uh, of my strength. Uh, and there is the firstborn, as his firstborn uh, son, uh, the one uh, who normally would uh, receive uh, a particular blessing uh, and double portion of the inheritance uh, and uh, would be particularly responsible uh, for uh, carrying on the name of his father and his household and, and all of these things. Uh, he speaks about him as uh, the first fruits. Uh, you are my firstborn, my, my might, and the first fruits uh, of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uh, but because of his sin, you go on to see, you'll not have preeminence uh, in, uh, in his family and household. Uh, and then Exodus 23, verse 19, uh, where you have Rashid Bikure Admatecha. Rashid Bikure Admatecha. And so here, the, the best of the first fruits of your ground, or uh, the, the first, the beginning of the first fruits of, of your ground. Uh, and so here you have something constructed on something constructed on something. And so you, you have kind of a double. It's not just the beginning of, but the beginning, or not just the beginning, but the beginning of the first fruits of your ground. Further specifying, uh, the beginning of the first fruits of your ground, or the first of the first fruits of your ground. You know, some might. Uh, might translate it along that way. Uh, and the ESV, the best of the first fruits of your ground, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat uh, in its mother's uh, milk. Uh, and then even in Leviticus 23, verse 10, uh, it talks about you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest. The sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest. Uh, further specifying. Uh, and now I would like to uh, skip uh, down to uh, Jeremiah 26, uh, verse 1. And so here you have something uh, a little more uh, similar uh, to the beginning of Genesis, but there are going to be differences that uh, follow until in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, uh, this word came from the Lord. Uh, and so this is a little more similar. Uh, and so again, uh, in the beginning, Bereshit, uh, uh, in the beginning, Mamlachto. Uh, or mam, mam, 
Oh, I have my font too tiny. Mamulechut Yehoiakim. And so, uh, in the beginning of the kingdom of Jehoiakim. Uh, but here, again, a verb doesn't follow, but the kingdom does. A noun follows. Uh, and so, uh, that's pretty, pretty typical. And then, uh, what follows in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, it's literally, although, that's a bad word, uh, wooden tra- translation, that's not even a translation because it messes up English and confuses the meaning. Uh, came, this, uh, came this word from Yahweh. Came this word, or uh, it's, it's a verb of being, but in the context, becoming, because there's a change. God's word comes uh, to him. But the difference is that in Genesis, if it's in the beginning when God created, or in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth, uh, and was the earth, formless and void, and the earth was, uh, there's a connective and in the verb was that follows, and the, the connective there, well, actually earth follows immediately, which involves, uh, we'll talk about more, but a switch of intention now, attention to the earth, and with the connective following, uh, there's a change, there's a shift uh, in the topic, uh, and that again is what makes, uh, what makes uh, it so rare uh, the construction that they're saying that it's in the construct state uh, because of the connective that follows uh, along switching attention to the earth. Uh, and so in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Uh, normally it would be like here uh, where the, uh, the verb of being, uh, the main point or uh, the main clause follows immediately in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, of the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word uh, to the Lord. Uh, the word, uh, this word came from the Lord. That's a better, that's a much better translation. It's just some of the, the grammar. There's a difference. There's not a connective here. There's not a switch of attention. Uh, the word doesn't come at the beginning of this, uh, this main point, this main clause. And so uh, there are differences again and again. Uh, Jeremiah 27, verse 1, one chapter later. Uh, in the beginning, so it's the beginning of something again, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word, uh, came this word to Jeremiah from Yahweh. This word came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. Uh, and again, whereas in Genesis, you have the connective that's similar to our word and, uh, it's a, a vav, uh, followed by the earth, not, not was, not became, not came, uh, but uh, and the earth, which switches attention. And so there's a difference here where you have the verb first, no connective, no and, uh, came this word to Jeremiah from Yahweh. And so there are similarities, but there are some significant uh, differences uh, as well. Uh, and you even have that again in Jeremiah 28, verse 1. Uh, and it happened, and a lot of times these are, are prefaced by, and it happened, then you have the time frame, uh, the context in time, followed by the main point. And it happened in that same year, uh, in or at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, 
So this is all the context. And it happened in that same year, uh, in or at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year. Main point, Hananiah, the son of Azur, uh, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house uh, of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, uh, and in Hebrew, again, it begins with the verb, said. Uh, said comes at the start, no connective, no switch of attention to a new new topic. Yep. Oh. I have thought. Yep. And, uh, you know, bearing fruit, but my, uh, we were talking about Nicodemus and all that. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that um, we can put these two ideas together and it would be efficacious? That is to say, there can be no in the beginning of a person, uh, or God cannot create the in the beginning of a person unless you're born again of the Spirit. In other words, the in the beginning, we're talking about the geographical mm-hmm. in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But here, in the beginning, that Jesus is talking about... Well, here it's really one of time. But, the, but there is a certain element of, at the beginning of these events in time, you always have space closely related with that, too, in, in creation. God is responsible for both. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. God does both. Mm-hmm. And that's all I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Is it a possibility to make that jump kind of connectivity to it? Yeah, or, I, mean, yeah. I, I think we're going to see that... There's still some questions that I, I have, things I, I want to research even more. I think the traditional interpretation is the stronger one uh, that we will see. Uh, but I'll even argue that even if you have what I think would be the, me- uh, the less likely uh, interpretation of it, uh, that even then we're going to see uh, in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth, When's that? I mean, <laughs> you're at the beginning. You're at the beginning of, of this creation account where you're going to see that the uh, heavens and the earth are incomplete. They're going to be brought to completion. That's the whole theme uh, in God completing uh, everything in six days, resting on the seventh, commemorating his finished work. Uh, but it's not just the beginning of this creation account that sets the context for, but it's the beginning of Genesis. Uh, it's the beginning of the Torah. It's the beginning of uh, the Tanakh. Uh, It's the beginning of the scriptures. Uh, Moses, the prophets, and the writings. It's the beginning from Genesis to Revelation. It's the beginning of creation and history. If you start with the beginning, at the very beginning of of all all of this, well, when is that? And we're going to see the consistent teaching throughout the Torah uh, and throughout the Tanakh is that uh, in drawing on the beginning, drawing on the creation, is that God created everything. Uh, and so uh, even if you were to, uh, to, to go and just say for the sake of argument, let's say, that, let's say uh, less traditional, not to, not to be sort of pejorative, I mean, there, there were, uh, there's a rabbi like uh, Rashi who's a well-respected scholar um, who held to it, uh, Forget when, when he lived, but, you know, a millennia or so, I mean, uh, centuries, uh, uh, many centuries ago. Um, but even if you just say for the sake of argument, uh, we're still looking at the beginning. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'll be arguing. And I'll show some things, I think, that uh, demonstrate that throughout Genesis as we get uh, work through it to the seventh day uh, and also uh, throughout uh, the Torah throughout the consistent teaching of the scriptures as they draw on this very account. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think 
I think there is a sense in which you can put them together. Uh, and so, you know, there are subtle nuances uh, in how it's written out, uh, but you still end up uh, with a similar context uh, in time, uh, even if uh, grammatically the, the role uh, that, that uh, God created the heavens and the earth, grammatically the role that it's playing, it's still at the beginning of creation that it's setting uh, everything. So we, we'll, see, uh, we'll see more of that. Uh, and so even here, uh, again, uh, you see that the, uh, the verb uh, comes first. Uh, there's one, another one, Jeremiah 49, verse 34, we won't look at, where uh, the expression follows, uh, where it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. The only thing to note there is when it comes at the end, the main point is the word of the Lord uh, that uh, came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning uh, Elam. There's some other things maybe look at with the grammar there. Uh, But um, if that's the main point, when it follows, it doesn't set up a context. uh, It doesn't set up a context uh, and precede the main point. But when it follows, it becomes... A kind of a sub-point uh, that helps define when these events uh, took place, uh, placing them in time, but kind of after the fact. And so it'd be like saying, God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. So it doesn't set the context before the main point comes, but it becomes a sub-point uh, that, that follows. So it'd still be uh, technically a depending clause, just whether it proceeds or uh, follows. Uh, and so... Now, uh, let's look at, uh, tie this together uh, with, uh, with the creation account. Uh, and even uh, the grammarian that we spoke about, uh, Muraoka, Muraoka uh, he even notes that uh, elsewhere, he cites Genesis 1.1 in the absolute sense. Uh, there is another passage uh, where he cites Hosea 1.2, uh, uh, one, verse 2 that we'll be looking at. A lot of times that one cited is significant. Um, and then even notes at the start of this with pure uh, substantives uh, citing uh, Hosea that these constructions, that they're rare. Uh, that they're rare. And he says possibly also Genesis 1.1 1, 1, uh, at the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. Uh, and he cites uh, 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 Rashi uh, for that, uh, the Hebrew uh, scholar. So already uh, Rashi, who as supporting evidence, uh, mentions Hosea 1 verse uh, 2. And so let's look at Hosea 1 verse 2. And so the, the central argument uh, that's usually put forth uh, is that the, uh, and, and the most important is the, the form of the word. Does it necessi- necessitate that beginning is in the construct state? So it's not, uh, it's not absolute grammatically, the beginning, 
in the beginning, but uh, it's, uh, it's relative or in the construct state grammatically the beginning of a God uh, creating. Uh, and so uh, they'd cite the form and we'll also talk about, they say the article's missing. Uh, that is utterly uh, irrelevant uh, to the issue. Uh, and so uh, in Hosea, uh, verse, uh, just look at verse one. Uh, and here you have a likely a construct uh, with a similar word, tehilat, diber, Yahweh, behoshea. And so uh, beginning, uh, the beginning uh, that God spoke uh, through Hosea. And so beginning of or beginning uh, when beginning that, <laughs> uh, the, the beginning of that, uh, or of that which God spoke uh, through Hosea. And so it's very similar. Uh, and you see it like in the ESV, when uh, the Lord first spoke through Hosea, uh, the Lord uh, said uh, to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Uh, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking Yahweh. And so uh, uh, the beginning of that which God spoke by or through Hosea, uh, and God said uh, to Hosea, or uh, yeah, in Hebrew, uh, going back between uh, Hebrew and English. Uh, and so God uh, spoke uh, to Hosea. So it kind of announces this, uh, then God, and God spoke to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. The land commits great whoredom by forsaking uh, the Lord. So he went and took uh, Gomer, uh, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived uh, and bore him uh, a son. Uh, and I also think it's, let's see. Yeah, and so... You have kind of a, a similar uh, construction here, but the, the difference uh, in, in this uh, leading into uh, Hosea, uh, the difference here, uh, again, is uh, some of the language is slightly different, but you then have uh, the main point that follows again, preceded by a verb, uh, a verb uh, immediately uh, afterwards. Uh, and so you don't have this uh, where you have uh, the connective followed by a noun, which again and again we will see is used to shift attention uh, to a new topic, uh, to shift attention to a new topic in the sentence. And the earth was without form and void uh, to make uh, a point about it. And so even here, uh, there's a difference uh, in the grammar. Uh, there's a difference in how it's constructed. And so it's not the same uh, construction that's uh, that's presented here. It's different, uh, where even where you have uh, it's not it's not utterly unprecedented uh, to have a, a verb or uh, an infinitive uh, that follows the beginning uh, of God speaking, uh, Yahweh speaking by or through uh, Hosea. Uh, in God spoke uh, to Hosea. Uh, but uh, the, the very grammar here is different than in 
uh, genesis, which is uh, important. If, if you want to argue for that one, you need to uh, show real parallels uh, between them that use uh, the very same uh, grammar uh, with uh, the point that follows introducing the earth and the earth was without form and void. And there follows the same, uh, the same pattern in English uh, with uh, uh, the earth, uh, the topic of the sentence uh, was without form and void describing it. And so there's a shift in the topic, a shift to the background information after the context has been established, after the main participant has been introduced, after the heavens and the earth have been introduced into the narrative, uh, and again and again, uh, that uh, you see that again and again in Hebrew narrative, Greek narrative, uh, and even similar things in, in English. Yep, Jim. I'm probably gonna go ahead and just mm -hmm. say, we'll do it later. Mm -hmm. But did Moses have an alternative or two that would have saved us some time tonight? Well, he did have some alternatives that would have made it very, very clear that it's in the construct state. Very clear. Okay, but all he had, all he had to use, all, all he had to use, all he had to do was have it follow. And there's, there's a scholar, uh, uh, Kasudo. Uh, who, who is a, he was a Hebrew scholar, uh, 20th century, I think lived into the 21st. Uh, and he has uh, some excellent commentaries on Genesis. He argues he could, he could potentially overstay a little bit, although I haven't found anything. I have not found the exact construction yet to, to refute it. I found some that are similar, they're rare. Uh, but all he had to do was to not have the earth first and drop the connective that's it just have and became or and was that's it uh, he also could have used uh, sometimes it's not used at the start of narratives but a lot of times you actually have it used at the start you have it used at the start of Ruth now Ruth is kind of connected to something bigger and so maybe that's part of the reason but uh, via he and it happened and it came to pass and then you have uh, a temporal context uh, and it happened in the beginning when God, uh, when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, that the earth was formless and void. And so he, 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 could have, he could have used, uh, and it happened, like we'd say in English, or he could have just dropped the connective and not put the earth first, uh, which would have made it very, very clear. Uh, and it's by having the connective, by having the earth, by not using, and it happened, it came to pass, which is a common construction where you have then the, uh, the context in time followed by the main point. Um, the fact that, the, the fact that, oh yeah, yeah, the fact that he doesn't use those is what would indicate the traditional interpretation. I meant to ask. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm old. That constructive mm -hmm. interpretation, mm -hmm. it's so old. Mm -hmm. It's a fad. You get over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you read the Bible as a whole, mm -hmm. and clearly it doesn't mean that. Yeah, yeah. Now, my suggestion is that Moses hesitated to make it perfectly clear that he wasn't, because maybe some part of his audience mm -hmm. um, is expecting there not to be the beginning the way the Bible tells us as a whole. Mm -hmm. And he's teasing us kind of in a way... John does at the beginning of Revelation. He's teasing us forward by, by making us think 
well, this guy agrees with the rest of us pagans. And then you're like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to, because you, you, you yeah. go on and you want, you maybe you're four books in. Mm-hmm. And you say, I think I misread the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let me go back and check. I, I don't you think. Can't, you can't recover it ever again. Once yeah. you've read the rest, I can't recover that. Yeah, there, there are some things that could be there. I don't think with the grammar, I don't think the grammar there that Moses was trying to be ambiguous with the, the grammar. I think that's more the problem of, of modern scholars, <laughs> you know, just wrestling with, you know, the, the more that I internalize Hebrew, and most scholars can't fluently read Hebrew. Uh, they, don't, they don't speak it. Uh, they don't. Uh, he, he would have been uh, much more, he, he would have been more, more competent than, uh, many in, in many respects. But then again, we're going to look at all the old translations which support the traditional interpretation. They, they knew Hebrew better than Rashi. <laughs> uh, and so, um, and uh, there, there are many today uh, Hebrew speakers like Kasudo who said, uh, no, no. <laughs> and so the, the, there are major uh, scholars and even Hebrew speaking scholars who are fluent in Hebrew who say, no. Uh, no, it, it's uh, not that un- unclear. And so the more you learn, the more you internalize it, I continue to stay. There, there are a few loose ends I, I want to tie up. You know, uh, there are a few things I want to look at still. Uh, I think the traditional is, uh, uh, is stronger uh, than, uh, than the other. Uh, but I want to tie, tie up, uh, look, at, look at a f- few more verses and stuff just to make sure, you know, uh, just over time to be patient and study uh, uh, the, the text, because the issue isn't what do we want it, you know, how do we want to translate this or whatever. It's just what does it say? Uh, that's the issue. Uh, but the issue, that's what I'll argue is, even if you say for the sake of argument, uh, we're still at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's part of grammatical maximalism that, you know, I debated even going into the issues, but they come up so much. Uh, they, they come up so much. You're going to come across it. You're going to see it if, if you read like any commentaries uh, and such. Uh, that I was just like, okay, we'll address it. And then we'll say, and for the sake of argument, you know, and we'll look at the context. We'll look at the broader context. And that's the key in how you interpret it. And there are issues, yes, with not necessarily the grammar, but as you read along and you see, okay, you read the C's, you know, the wires of the E. They're not gods. <laughs> you read the luminaries. He even avoids the, the word uh, uh, Shemesh and Yahweh, uh, not even probably to make connections with, uh, with names of like deities and in other places and such, um, which in Hebrew didn't necessarily mean those things, but the, you know they could connect it. It's just the greater light and the lesser light to give light on the earth for the humans. It's made for the humans. <laughs> it's not for worship. Uh, and you, you get that like in Deuteronomy. Uh, talk about like... Uh, don't bow down to the stars and the sun and the moon and uh, these things that God created. Uh, they're just things that God created. And so uh, you, you see that they're profoundly different. And we'll even look at some of these uh, creation accounts to just compare and contrast. I mean, it's just night and day uh, where you can point to, you can point to some similarities where they, they have shared knowledge. Uh, Hebrews know about Egyptian culture and Sumerian culture and Akkadian and things like this. Uh, and so the, the, there are certain shared things that they know in background. But when you study more, it's the differences that start to become uh, so uh, blindingly stark uh, that, that you read. Boy, we're running out of time. You know, I was going to finish this tonight, but, but 
that may actually be a good thing because then next week we're going to be able to elaborate more, uh, finish up some of the little grammatical loose ends, but then focus more on the context uh, and see why the context is uh, so uh, so crystal clear, uh, you know, even for the sake of argument. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we, we don't have time, so let's end it here uh, next week. I think that might be our last for December. We, we have the, uh, the next uh, two weeks off. I can email you and uh, confirm that uh, uh, just with uh, the, the holidays and, and such, Christmas. Uh, and so uh, next week we'll, we'll be back. We only have next week off. Uh, and we'll look at uh, the primary arguments uh, that, that are made uh, for this interpretation then we'll look at some counter arguments and arguments for the traditional and then really take a look at, at the, the context, uh, which uh, is what's uh, so strong. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you uh, for uh, the, the time to study it and uh, the freedom that we have to, uh, to do so and uh, that no one is coming in uh, taking away uh, our Bibles, the, the scriptures from our hands. And so we thank you that we have that we have those freedoms and we pray that we'd be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, for the sake of uh, the gospel, the good news, whether that's mockery, whether that's ridicule, whether uh, that's uh, uh, tensions or, or broken relationships or, uh, or even uh, imprisonment or death. We pray that we'd be willing to suffer and we pray for all of our brothers and sisters uh, in, in your son, uh, that you'd keep them and uphold them, that they would uh, trust uh, in him and him alone and his finished work. Uh, and uh, we thank you for, uh, for your word. And uh, even though we haven't uh, resolved some of these issues this week, I pray that you'd bring us back together so we could uh, open up your word and uh, see that uh, you did uh, create all things in the beginning and you made them uh, very good. And so uh, we thank you for these things and we pray in the name of your son. Amen.